Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics, 40K Codex Analysis, List Building, Strategy Development, Game Theory, Mentoring. Our mission, to help you become a better player and to raise the level of the game both on and off the tabletop. Here's your host, Stephen Box. Hey guys, welcome back to the show and we are going to be starting a brand new season. So we're going to be entering season three of the Competitive 40k podcast and the reason for that is because with obviously the new FAQ out, I just felt like it was time for a changing. So we're going to be entering to season three now of the Competitive 40k podcast and today I'm joined again by Jack. So how Jack, how are you doing mate? Yeah, really good. Glad I'm still going strong into season three. Mate, you, you're going to be the, the linchpin of season three, <laughs> I feel. Um, and actually, Jack has kindly come on board as our um, sort of podcast director, so to speak. So if you get any complaints about the podcast, go speak to Jack, basically. <laughs> like, give me a fancy title and now I'm going to get a load of flack. But uh, now it's... Um, it does mean you get all the praise as well, though. Absolutely. Yeah, all the glory. Um so no, no, it's great to it's great to be on board as uh, leading the podcast out for us moving forward. Um, that's a really exciting time as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we're going to talk about today, um, we're going to go on a story, guys. So um, we'll, we're going to take you on a journey and we're going to tell that through Jack's story of him playing Tao. And you might be thinking, oh, I hate Tao. I don't want to listen to this podcast. But look, there is something much more important in this story, and that is the journey that you have to go on as a player to redevelop a mindset in order to become successful. And every single player out there, whether you're listening to this, you would have gone through the same things that Jack is no doubt going to share with you today. Also, in terms of the way that 40K is played and released, there are there is always going to be ups and downs to every single faction. You know, I can think back to a couple of years ago and Space Marines who, you know, nobody was even taking Space Marines. Now there is kind of a very, you know, complete polar opposite example right out there in the meta at the moment. Space Marines are everywhere. And, you know, the opposite could be said about Tau. So really what I want to, f- what we're going to find out today is the strategies Jack has gone through, some of the stages in his development as a player with Tau in particular. But these things that Jack's going to talk about today are going to really help all of you, whether you're playing, you know, the Gene Stealer Colts of, of you out there or the uh, craft world elder, whatever it is, I think there's going to be something here that you can really get a lot of value from. So Jack, kick us off with what did Tau look like to, for you at the very end of eighth edition? So where were we kind of, cause I would say you were at your peak then. So how were you then at the end of eighth? Yeah. So I think at the end of eighth edition, we were Tower in a good, good place. Um, the, the mission set worked well, in, in, in particular in the ITC kind of format and the way points were scored, lots of opportunities to score late game and things like that. Um, and the overall um, way the, the core rules worked suited Tau quite nicely as well. So I've picked out a few key things that were uh, key to my Tau lists and how the kind of the, the army operated in 8th edition. So I, I, I've identified shield drones, the fly keyword, which allowed you to fall back and shoot, Overwatch and late game scoring. Yep, no, I'd agree with all that, yep. Um, so those are some of the key advantages while playing an eighth, but there's also some key disadvantage. 
which were wrapping and trapping, yeah, with units being able, non-fly units getting locked in combat was a massive issue, um, which ended up resulting in me not taking a single model without the fly keyword towards the end of 8th edition to completely negate that issue. The stack, stacking of negatives to hit were a prevalent issue throughout 8th, you know, looking at a late top flyers at minus 4 to hit, possessed bombs minus 4 to hit, lots of minus 2s, lots of minus 3s, which on a base ballistic skill of four plus was a huge issue to deal with throughout and then line of sight blocking terrain um with the usual kind of competitive scene in most of the events that i attended had lots of ruins with line of sight blocking on the ground floor for example um which did become quite challenging yeah so what was the like you said you were in a good place with eighth edition there was a few really strong elements there was a few sort of things that were you know, you found challenging. What did ninth edition bring when that first came into place? I'll just, I'll, I'll just add a, sorry, a little bit further onto the the eighth edition um, section before we move on to ninth. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, personally, I felt the Tau Codex and Psychic Awakening was well rounded in terms of overall balance against other factions and points and stratagems and things like that. I felt like none of it. You know, they weren't always the highest succeeding, but they could always compete, which is a great place for, you know, any given faction, you know, especially when it's your favorite faction, it always felt like you had an opportunity to get to the highest level. Yeah. Um, but that being said, there was just, for me, there was one main archetype of list, which kind of worked the best, which was centered around using the towel set for really solid overwatch, triple riptides, commanders and shield drone spam. Yeah. You know, as a towel player, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. You've got this really resilient block of models via the sheer drones, and you could and you keep your output going all game. It wasn't, you know, high peak output. It was steady, consistent across five, six turns, which was enough in most games. Um, but you know, when looking through the lenses of my opponents, I completely understand how frustrating that matchup can be for certain opponents. Um, which just don't have an answer to, you know, in particular the shield drones or the overwatch, for example. So I completely understand that things needed to change to create more interesting games um, and also uh, um, provide further options as a tower player to move into different play styles and different units and things. Yeah, it's one of those things I think it's Tau felt quite obnoxious to play into because you would spend your entire turn shooting and maybe even sometimes two turn shooting at the things mm-hmm. you're trying to kill most, which is these massive riptides, but you're not even making a dent. All you're seeing is, is these little bases essentially being taken <laughs> off the table. And you're like, I still haven't got anywhere. I have not yeah. impacted your damage output whatsoever. Cause normally you shoot something, it gets weaker or it's killed. Um, you can remove that threat from the table, but against how you just couldn't. And then those armies that were, you know, primarily a combat based army, we're just looking at those charges like lads am i gonna make it <laughs> we're not gonna make this we're not gonna make it commander's like you're going in son he's like i'm, I'm just not gonna make it this is suicide and you, you essentially giving the tail player a free turn of shooting and if yes. you didn't kill them they would just move back and shoot you again and it was you know quite horrific and i think the only reason that tau weren't the greatest faction in eighth edition at the end of it was because of Iron Hands having two wound models with a five plus feel no pain. And I think that was what 
potentially killed Tau a little bit because a lot of your damage was D3 or 2. But as that was such an abusive uh, rule interaction at the time, uh, obviously it just put Tau out of the, you know, the runnings really from being, I think, the top faction. And I think sometimes Tau have had a bit of a bad rap because they had a real peak many moons ago. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even playing the game back then, so I don't really have the... Uh, yeah, same. But I know their serve, um, their reputation is uh, well and truly earned from sins of previous editions with Riptide Wings and Piranha formations and stuff like that. Um, I never had the pleasure of playing the faction at that time um, to really frustrate opponents, but I get it. Um, as you said with the shield drones, that I built all my list to take two rounds of full shooting. Um, I could stand in the open, my drones would be hidden behind line of sight, blocking terrain, and. Um, and just say, yeah, you crack on and try and try and inflict damage, and uh, your opponent usually bounce off in those first two turns, and then you'll you'll as you, I think you, you summed it up really well that you're not affecting the damage output of the Tau Force, but the Tau Force is slowly and surely reducing the damage output in return. Yeah, absolutely, and it was just like, especially when you're rolling, you're seeing someone roll, oh, four up, oh, or like it was two up onto a, sorry, shield drone, oh, yeah. five up, or oh, ignored it, oh, two up, and it was that two I still up, remember five up, two that. up, five up, yeah, go on, what, go on, that, what are you going to say? I think you know what I'm going to say, that first, of, that first LGT, it was my first competitive tournament that I attended back in 2018, maybe? Um, yeah. And uh, I was playing my second, I won my first game, absolutely buzzing, playing my second and uh, I think you'd finished up your game a bit earlier, so you came to watch. And the t- the, the moment that Steve rocked up to the table, uh, I think a unit of uh, veteran guardsmen with four plasma guns went to shoot a uh, you know a riptide or something like that. Um, Ten shots all bounced off shield drones, and uh, I think you, I think you said you just saw my opponent's face just break at that point um, <laughs> because he knew what was going to happen next round. Um, but you know, things like that, it, it, it's not right. It, it's, it, it, it creates ill feeling for the opponent. And I completely understand it. It's, um, it, it does create these really weird matchups when if you roll hot or no shield drones, it's, it, it could kind of, um, put a game to bed almost. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're like, well, that's it. So you left on a high of eighth edition. It was all going well. And then, yeah. Let's get to ninth edition. What happened in ninth edition? Just cover the the sort of four key things that I think you know were probably in your favour and how you felt about those. And then let's dive into some of the things that you felt probably quite shortly after after sort of actually getting some play in with the army. So what were the sort of things that you thought? Right, boom, ninth edition tower going to be even greater. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so yeah, ninth edition lands. It's all their exciting time, and um, you know, all for that preview. It was really exciting to look on how that might affect, affect my faction, um, and uh, yeah, some of the things that the key advantages that came out from the transition from eighth to ninth was rapid trapping was fixed by the inclusion of the desperate breakout stratagem. So if I ever had a unit of fire warriors stuck in combat, I knew I could get them out at any given time. Perfect. You know, absolutely, absolutely great stratagem. Um, Overwatch was then retained by Tau only in the main. Obviously, there's a few exceptions to the rule there, but um, they kept their unique special rule when everyone else's Overwatch has gone. Yep. The stacking of negatives to hit, fixed by capping it to a maximum minus one, means that I'm always hitting something on a five. Perfect. Can deal with those pesky flyers, Eldari flyers. Um, Line of sight blocking terrain, the 
inclusion of the obscuring keyword. So if a ruin has open windows and you're stood in it, that means that I can unlock the piece of terrain. It's um, rather than just being constantly blocked by by a rule of, line of the ground floor always blocks line of sight, for example. Yeah. So if there's a unit trying to you know sit on that objective or whatever just behind a wall. If it's open, it's open and you can now shoot freely into it. Yeah, nice. Cool. Yeah, and then um, just some of the key disadvantages that came across with the addition change was um, shield drones were put up straight away. So it went from 10 points to 15 points. So a 50-point increase. 50%, yeah, increase. And so, so obviously that's a big hit, but the rate of fire in the game has gone up significantly as well. So... It's not only the fact that they're more expensive per model, it's the fact that those models don't do nearly enough covering of damage than they used to previously. Right, okay, yep. Uh, fly keyword, so this is the big one. No longer able to fall back and shoot. Um, absolutely uh, devastating when I found that one out. Yep. Because um, instead, like, on your big suits, you got the, um, obviously, big guns never tire, but yeah. at minus one to hit penalty, you're hitting all fives. And then you're never going to really have Markalites in combat, are you, that yeah, can exactly. shoot? So you're only hitting on fives, really. Yeah, abs- yeah absolutely. And stuff like Crisis Suits aren't monsters, so as soon as they're tagged in combat, that's game over for them, effectively. Um, so that, yeah, that, that was a big one. Um, next one, late-game scoring. I, especially in the ITC format, would win the majority of my games turn five and turn six by jumping on um objectives late game after I've broken the opponent's back but the loss of battle round six is massive for the title faction i think that's you know between fly and this one i think this is this is the this is the worst um parts of the edition change in terms of well not the worst parts the most challenging parts for a title player yeah, to so, deal with yeah and, and i think this is probably something that you discovered after playing multiple multiple games thinking why am i just not getting these points i could you got so frustrated with it because you were like, what's happening? There's just, you know, if you went second, you're getting to turn four and you could pretty much call it, couldn't you? You're like, well, I'm never getting back yes. in this. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, a, a typical towel game is you have the majority of your army left on the board, um, but you've not, you've just not scored points. Um, but then we'll talk about how I developed my game strategy to kind of work around that now. But yeah, gate, losing battle round, battle round six was was big, in my opinion. And then just overall objective securing, Tau like to sit in this bubble in the centre of the board, all protecting each other with the Overwatch bubbles with drones, etc., things like that. Um, but the objectives now, primary and secondary, forces you to be in multiple places of the board. So that doesn't lean into Tau's strength. Yeah, because in ITC previously, you only had to get a hold. So that's hold one objective. Now, in order to score well and even have a chance in the game, you have to be holding a minimum of two objectives every single turn and controlling those at the start of your turn rather than at the Mm. end. So there was, we went from end of battle round scoring to start a battle round scoring and not scoring in the first battle round, because also by not scoring in the first one actually gives you another turn where you're unable to score. And yeah, that's just massive. Now your army cannot just, bubble up in one place because it has to hold multiple doesn't it absolutely um just on that topic i think the 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 recent change in the faq to the player goes second scoring um scoring their primary at the end of their turn is is a huge boost for tower yeah it's starting to give you that i've got a game here i've got something to play for if you go second which i really really like 
So anyway, yeah, obviously there's some advantage, disadvantage after about, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know, games of 40k at ninth edition. How were you feeling about Tau? Just be honest. How were you feeling about it? I was uh, feeling pretty downtrodden about it. I was getting extremely frustrated. I was finding that, you know, we played multiple times and um, played a few, played in the event as well. And I just couldn't score points. I felt like I could never score big and I could always be seem to be fighting an uphill battle with it. Um, always seem to be chasing my opponent, trying to knock points off them rather than trying to score big and win the game that way. It was um, it did it did become extremely frustrating. Yeah, and who were you blaming at the time? I was blaming I was blaming the towel. You're blaming the towel, yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, I, was, I didn't. I was. I remember we had that um, when we filmed the Blood Angels Battle Report. Uh, I was. We, we talked about it and we covered it in tilting, didn't we? As well. Yeah. Um, I was saying there's nothing I can do that I don't have the tools here on the table to deal with this. Um, I don't have the strategies or or the mindset to deal with what's in front of me in, in this game. And I think the biggest problem that you had was that you were, and I think this is something that all of you probably do if you're listening, because you've been doing something for so long, you repeat behaviours, right? So repetition can either be brilliant for you or it could be your very worst enemy. Because if you've been practising something that isn't, the correct way to practice and it in the problem with was an addition change is that all of a sudden your technique needs to instantly change based on a rule interaction change you are going to constantly make those same decisions that you would always make and i think that was one of the biggest things that you were doing was what's what is it that you're doing wrong because you can't quite see it you can't see the sort of wood for the trees because you're, you're yeah. you've kind of got these movement patterns in place um, and we actually did an entire academy lesson on um, our our game, our t- Blood Angels versus Tau. A decision making, or a, one decision led to a massive defeat in a game that you could have won, right? Um, and it is probably the most favourite and most valuable lesson on that academy. And everyone tells me, Steve, that lesson you did with Jack was incredible. Um, It's so valuable. And I never even thought about it until we covered it in such detail. And it is one of those things that you need to constantly ask yourself and be much more critical when you're thinking is, was this the right decision? What if I do the complete opposite to the decision I'm about to make? And what would that then look like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that critical thinking piece and kind of opening my mind up a little bit more has been really helpful when trying to overcome the challenges presented by Ninth Edition. And I, I can remember a time when you actually put the towel on the shelf, didn't you, for a while? And they've been on the shelf for what, probably the last six months, I would say? Yeah, like, yeah. Because you've been transitioning with the Orcs, haven't you, or Dark Angels? Yeah, yeah certainly two, two to three months. They've just been sat on the shelf. Uh, t- Time scales kind of got me a bit fuzzy last year, but they, they took, I took a step away from them um, because I got so frustrated with them. I felt like I needed to to take a change. And um, I took a little bit of a break from the game as well for a couple of weeks, which helped. Um, but then came back with some different factions, tried some new stuff out, um, but then got re-energized to, to play them again, see if I can make it work, you know, ignore what people say in terms of they're, they're rubbish, they don't work. Can I make it work? Can I find a new strategy and approach 
to find something that would overcome these challenges. What was it that made you thought, actually, I want to prove people wrong. What was it that you felt was a trigger to actually making you make a very positive step forward rather than just doing what many other people may perhaps have done and have just put that army list on the, you know, insert genius de Lacole out, whatever is you, you know, you think is not popular. What was it that you thought actually, I know I, I want to use the towel. I want to do well with them. What, what was there a turning point, a trigger? Um, I think first and foremost, it was, um, it's my favorite faction. Um, so I wanted to play with them. And I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying playing with Space Marines. Um, the Orcs were okay. They were good fun to play with, but they weren't really me. And I wanted to play with my favourite faction. So I think a little bit of a break from from them taught me that. Is actually, I, this is the army that I'd like to play. I think this is the army that I'd like to play once we're allowed to competitively again. So actually, um, I need to put the work in. Can I make it work? If I put the graft in... Can I make this faction work? And I think we're, we're about to go into why I think it does, but that's that, that's off the back of working it through, playing test games, um, really studying the book and things like that to come up with a revised, a completely revised list and a new um, way of playing it. Yeah, and I think it's testament to you going, right, I, I can remember us having a conversation recently and you were like, yeah, I'm going to practice what we preach. Yeah. And it's that what has, you know, really opened up your list to be as good as it is now. So at the point where I'll be honest, Jack, I don't really want to play you anymore. Um, <laughs> from, I, <laughs> because I do genuinely, I'm a bit scared about playing you. Um, I'll put my hand up. I'm competitive. I don't like losing and um, I'm not in any way, shape oh, or form it. looking forward to box on the back foot. That's, uh, that's always good to hear. So, um, and I think, you know, you're right. You're, you're practicing what you're preaching because if we are on the academy saying, look, we can help you play with any faction, you truly need to become open-minded. You need to become very critical in your thinking. You need to develop in the way that you make decisions and you need to analyze, you need to reflect, you need to ask for help and you need to constantly evolve. There's no just kind of, you know, we don't tell people, I'll oh, just run this list. It's great. I'll just run 18 plasma receptors because we know that things will change. And it's all about understanding, have an appreciation of that kind of triad of the points of the units, the rules of the units and the game itself in terms of mission. And that's where you really find out the efficiencies, what's effective and what's not. So, and I think what you've really sort of spoke about there, which I've kind of honed in on is a play style. You've tried this army, you tried the elite MSU and you thought, actually, this is not for me. It's not the skill element. I don't think is there for you with space Marines in the way that you like the meticulous movement, the positioning of the towel. Same with the orcs. You know, I think you prefer shooting rather than you combat. I think you prefer looking at threat ranges, movement values than you do necessarily looking at charge distances and, you know, pilings and consolidations. And like you said, yeah, the Orcs are fun. They're a bit kind of random, but I think you like knowing you, you like my unit does this, it achieves that. Whereas Orcs can either massively overachieve and you're like, what on earth has just happened? Or they could absolutely whiff it. And I don't think that's something that you enjoy as a player so much. So I think this really goes back to, again, something that we constantly talk about on the Academy, understanding your play style, sticking with a list in, again, like developing you as a player. Yeah, just, just touching on the, on the Orcs, like um, 
you know, I was collecting towel for a long time and then all of a sudden, and then October hit and I was like, right, let's get me, let's get some orcs. They're, they're looking cool. Um, and I'd recommend to anyone that plays a certain faction with a certain style to jump into a faction that's completely opposite. It really, it really helped me understand it, understand, um, the other half of the game really, you know, towel moves and shoots orcs do everything. They shoot psychic combat, the whole lot and they really helped my overall gameplay and understanding of the game by playing something that was completely different i think for me they will be i'll just use them for pickup games really and a bit of fun i don't think i'd ever run them at an event i think that'll be for, for tau but you know playing the orcs has made me a better tau player yeah absolutely also it gave you that kind of sense of enjoyment that i think you uh you got quite bogged down with the tau so anyway let's move on so you got the towel back on the table. I can remember a few weeks ago, you were like, Steve, I want to run into your blood angels. I want to see if I can, you know, do the damage. And you wanted, I think, to see how strong my blood angels list was. And I obviously asked you, look, can I test against Tao? I need to test a few things out. And we went through it and it, it wasn't really a game, was it? Uh, no, no. It's, um, I think my list has developed a considerable amount from that, that last time we played. And as well as the FAQ has come through, which, um, which has really helped more so that the points obviously has made a big impact on my current list. And we won't get into the debate of Monkar, but um, you know, uh, for we are as Vanguard Tactics in agreement that it does allow fall back and shoot. And, you know, uh, before, before attending any event, I'll be clarifying that with a TO before purchasing my ticket. So any tile player, that's what I recommend you do. Yeah. Prior going to an event, just clarify that straight away. So um, in- yeah. And I, I Can I just quickly say there was, there was a, there was something in which I noticed in you as a player, and obviously we've played hundreds of games. Mm -hmm. We played that Blood Angel game and you walked away from that with not a, a, a different attitude than what you may have walked away from in previous games. You walked away with it with a hunger, like a burning desire to, I want to absolutely smash this Blood Angels list. You saw it as a challenge and you saw it as a way to how do you develop your list? How do you go back in? Okay, where where in this game did it just go wrong? What was it that you were struggling to do? And rather than blaming the codex, you, you we sat down, didn't we? Yeah. And we started looking at list options and we tested some different things out in terms of what you could have done. And I think you then had another game against Aaron, one of our other coaches that you're going to hear next week, and his Orcs. And you, I think you had a similar experience. And I think these have been the catalysts to what has made your list absolutely yeah. incredible. And, and as we'll touch on why it's become, you know, like I said, like a list I'm fearing to play now. Those damaging defeats, you know, really um, hurt at the time. You, you, you go, you look at it and you go, so what happened there? Is it a list thing? Is it a play style thing? So I think the one um, in reference to the Blood Angels against you, Steve, was, it was a list. The list wasn't right at that point. So I spent more time um, grafting through it really doing the critical reviews, doing the SWOT analysis all the way through the list. Why is this unit here? What's it doing? Do I need it? Does it need to change? Went through that a few times, played it, played it, played a few more test games and then ran into Aaron's Orcs, which Aaron's Orcs list. And I think the listeners will be really excited to, to hear about that next week. It's um, he has a great play style with the Orcs, but um, the firepower was ridiculous. And the reach that he had with his firepower outranged me. So actually, yeah, my play style wasn't quite right in the way I played it. There was a few little tweaks that I needed to do to apply a bit of um, pressure. But it's those losses that have taught me the, taught me the most, not the, not the wins. 
in uh, again, it's the a lot of people could just go away from a game and blame dice. They can think oh, I play that great. It's or oh, it's my codex. It's not me. And actually, you looked at that and thought, right, I made this list. It was my decisions that brought this list to the table. I need to make those changes. And okay, I made a mistake here. I made a mistake there. And I remember you telling me, you're like, okay, I made a couple of mistakes in this game. I need to clean that up a bit, but I've learned from those mistakes. You have been, you're thinking critically, which is exactly what you need to do is analyze what could I have done differently? And, you know, you're, you're learning constantly to develop that mindset, which is incredible. So let's go into some of the, the sort of nuts and bolts. Now, what yeah. did you change to help you, let's say, score the primary? Yeah, so one thing I was massively struggling was the primary objectives. You know, when you look on paper, Tau troop choices that have obsec are weak. They, you know, they're not the toughness three models with a four up armor save. They aren't going to survive very long. So what do you do to fix it? Right, let's buy them a transport. Let's put them in a devil fish. When you say weak, you mean a durability? Yes, durability. Yeah, okay. um, you know, if they're sat in the open, they're not going to last too long. So how do you kind of fix that durability? Well, let's put them in a devil fish, the transport. It, they're now toughness seven with 12 wounds and they've also now got a 12 inch move thank, uh, with a devil fish that flies they, they they become very quick they're a lot more survivable and um, they're protected within that vehicle so they can't be shot themselves which means that the devil fish now needs to be dealt with and once the devil fish comes out the breacher teams come out of it which i like to put two five-man breacher teams in it so i've got two units of obsec with contained in, in that one transport for a very reasonable package, you can get around the board where I need it to, I can keep them safe. Um, and the devil fish can also um, provide a utility role, which which will, which will cover in a later section as well. So you're looking at your troop choice rather than a five-man unit versus, or oh, my army's not as, or my breaches or strike five-man team is not as durable as a five-man intercessor team or infiltrating team. And let's compare them to infiltrators that have got better mobility than intercessors because of the pre-game move. You're going, right, I can take this many models and this also transport. And not only, yes, it might cost a little bit more, but actually it's got better durability. It's got better mobility. And I can have obsec in two different places rather than just one. So you're not just comparing apples to oranges now. You are starting to look at this and go, I want to take a primary holding package of these core units and this devil fish, which you can then, and again, this is something that we teach constantly on the academy, is how do you find different ways to utilize units? How do you make them more effective and efficient? And how do you get duality out of that unit? And duality basically means, you know, how can something perform a few roles on the table rather than just being a one trick pony? And this is something that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're going to get onto later, but I really love the way that you're looking at that. So is that kind of been a big a big change to the primary objectives now? Yes, 100%. You know, th those breach teams and the devilfish are the first thing that I input into any list that I'm writing. And just with the, um, and, and this is one thing that came out in gameplay, when you, which I missed or don't appreciate when writing the list. A devilfish with two gun drones can then take t uh, 10, it can also have a capacity of 12, which can be two five-man breacher teams and another two-man gun drone squad. That's 14 bodies that come out of that devilfish, which has obsec units contained within it. So if that blows up on an objective and all those bodies get out, if someone's got a five-man troop squad, I've then taken that objective. Yeah, because even if you only had one model with obsec, but you had another 13 other models, 
you would yep. still claim it because you have more or you both have an obsec model. And then it comes down to as soon as you both have the obsec rule, it then comes down to the amount of models. So even if you've got, like I said, um, again, it's a really good way of like 14 models and also on a very small base size, 25 mil, that's much easier to pile into a, a three inch aura than it is 32s, 40s, yeah. like some of the bigger boys. Um, and with the ability of using um, not desperate breakout, but there's other little tricks you can use with emergencies. Emergency. Yeah. What a fantastic trick that is to really increase that movement, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, no, it's, it's solid. As you say, it's, it's a great little package of obsec that you can get around the board. Uh, it's, um, it's doing absolute wonders. And do you think we're kind of, a lot of people are in the mindset of eighth edition still where they're just going, well, I need to fill out a battalion, so I'll just put in three units of troops and that's it. They're not thinking beyond beyond that and going, okay, how am I going to keep my primary objective scoring consistent throughout the game? And do I even have a game plan for holding objectives? Because I don't think many people do. No, exactly. I, I think four troop choices is is a minimum. I think that's harder for you know, space marines. It's more difficult, more expensive, but I wouldn't go to the board of less than four tau troop choices and and being protected as well you know on paper there these are a throwaway unit now protect your obsec keep it safe don't just throw it away needlessly um i really enjoy transports in nine because i can just float that devil fish onto onto an objective it's my opponent you have you can deal you can waste your firepower at it because you're not shooting at anything else in my army but on my obsec gets out anyway it forces difficult decisions on your opponent yeah. And I mean, I've just literally getting into this discussion now. I've just been thinking, where do most people put their obsec in their backfield, right? Yeah. Where do you actually need your obsec? The whole point of an obsec rule is to overrule another unit. And you're only ever going to need that when you're at a higher chance of being in conflict with an objective. And that's going to be in no man's land. So actually, if you've got your troops in your deployment zone... <laughs> Unless you're, you know, obviously, unless they're really putting a lot of pressure on your deployment zone. Yeah. But you don't want them there. You want them in the midfield and you want something that can get them in the midfield. So actually that objective secured rule is useful. Otherwise, you can just stick a character on your backfield and call it done. Yeah, or two-man drone unit, whatever it needs to be. So um, yeah, that's the point. No, no, I think that's really, really important. And I think, again, something people just aren't even considering. They're like, oh, my three troops on my three objectives from the backfield. And that's all they're doing. They're not con- they're not thinking about contesting the midfield. Okay, cool. So let's have a little chat about board control. Where are you now kind of applying pressure and um, sort of focusing on trying to bring back some of the eighth edition strength that you really had was board control? Yeah, so Tau have excellent board control options. Um, the ability to put two mandrone units across the board that you can buy with your battle suits or... Um, that come off you know, devilfish or piranhas, things like that, they can disembark and they can ping across the board. So if someone, I love it when people put stuff in deep strike against me because I can start to really dictate where, that, where that's going to land. Um, and I've got enough units to do it for two turns. So on the make sure the screen's pushed out nice and nice and wide on turn two. If that gets then taken away, I've got, an, I've got enough redundancy in my list to then push the screen back out again and make sure deep strikers do not land in favourable positions where they can do me damage. Yep. No, I think that's, um, again, something that, which is really underlooked is 
that ability just to zone out the table and just dictate where your your opponent is going to have to place their units. That's massive. You're now controlling your opponent's decision-making. And as soon as you start to do that, you start to be in a winning position for the game. Absolutely. And um, I was doing a lot of practice with ball control before the Moncar FAQ. So I was playing this list on the assumption that as soon as I'm tagged, you know, I effectively lose the game. Okay. So I was, I was put a lot of work into my screening. Okay, you've got a unit of blade guard, right? There's a two-man drone unit in front of it. It can't move past it. It's not charging me next turn. I'm blocking off ground infantry. I can, you can block off certain assaults like in that man, manner. You know, ball control in terms of deep strike, ball control in terms of dictating where your opponent can move. Uh, you know, you can use the devilfish for that role, two-man drone units, um, and, you know, options like that to um, really dictate where your opponent goes, push them into channels down to put them into your guns and that kind of thing. Yeah. No, that's brilliant, mate. And again, it's one of those things... Which that, is red. Sorry, what are you going to say there? Sorry, and another thing that's recent addition that I'm really enjoying to the list is, you know, is, is applying pressure. So I've got a couple of ghost kills and a couple of units of stealth suits. So what, as these, infiltra- as these units infiltrate, they get an instant screen... Um, because I felt like relics like the Veil of Darkness and, you know, the Jumping Boys or um, what's the Grey Knight one? Um, Gate of Affinity. Or could, Fall could on Fury. Real, yeah, Fall on Fury could be a real issue. So actually, I'm going to put in four infiltrating units for a reasonable price, reasonable durability, and I've got a reasonable amount of damage output as well. So I'm going to put them out on the midboard, or I can be more conservative with them. I'm now creating a speed bump. I'm putting pressure on your objectives. Yeah. And on giving units you have to deal with. Also, the other thing that, you know, you're maybe not considering, but I certainly am as your opponent is, okay, he's got stealth suits. I can't go banners or I can't go investigate sites. Because all if I know that going first is on a 50-50 chance now, and if I take investigate yeah. sites and you go first, all you do is put a unit stealth team on there, turn one, and then turn two and turn three, so on and so forth. I'm not going to be able to raise a banner in the midfield and I'm not going to be able to raise a banner. Oh, sorry, do an investigate site in the centre of the table. Therefore, what you're going to be doing straight away is denying me any early scoring opportunities on the secondaries just by having them in your list. Whether you choose to use them in the midfield is totally up to you, but you're now making me reconsider my secondary options. And as soon as you, again, start to do that, you start to play with your opponent's decision-making. So it's brilliant. And, you know, and their deployment choices, it gives you a headache. You know, those ghost kills, are, you got uh, D3 fusion guns on them where it really starts to limit where your opponent might deploy vehicles, for example, yep. because they might be scared of the threat of that coming in. Um, so, yeah, absolutely great utility units. They can either apply pressure and deploy them aggressively or they can de- deploy a little bit more conservatively and really shore up early game primary. I could put a ghost kill on the objective. It's got it's, it's minus one to hit with a four up invert. It's it, it's not going to be easy to shift. And if someone's shooting the ghost kill, they're not shooting my real damage dealers. No, absolutely. So, you know, we've spoke about board control. What's kind of next? What, what where did your your mind go next in terms of how do you make this list have a lot more duality and how can you make it play in other phases of the game? Um, and ultimately, like take more decisions off your opponent. Where were you going next with your list decision making? Absolutely, you know. Um, yeah, Mon Car's available, but it's only once per game. So I still have to play a game where I don't want you charging me at all. 
and I want to look to remove that as an option. So, you know, the ball control is an element which we just discussed. But the ghost kills and the devil fish, if they don't have primary targets to go and shoot, I like to charge them into anything that won't swing, kill them back in one swing. Yeah. Because typically what that means is that units can, will have to, if stays in combat and grinds out of combat with, with the devil fish or the keel, or has to fall back, therefore it can't shoot, it can't advance, it can't do an action, it can't charge. Obviously there's certain abilities that um, in the game that will change that, but then yeah. you wouldn't avoid this tactic then. But just as a principle, my devil fish isn't doing damage. Once it's got his troops out and it's put them in the right place, what's it do? You know, I don't want to just sat around doing nothing. Right, let's, let's get it Let's get it on the Rory up the board, being a nuisance, charging stuff, make my opponent fo- deal with it. Yeah. And also you've got that ability to go, okay, if I need to reposition my back line, maybe I pull him back and he can hold an objective. And he's in a, like, that's the sort of unit that you want on your backfield objective, not really in threat by anything coming close. And it's going to be struggle to be shot off the table. And like you said, an opponent, if it's wasting shots trying to kill a devil fish, then it's not shooting the stuff that you want to keep alive, like your suits or whatever. So um, yeah, I really, really like that. Yeah. And I think um, what I really, found the small drone squads in particular can do can force bad trades so let's take a mission uh, that has five objectives and one smack in the middle of the board i'm, I'm gonna hold i'm gonna hold my two on my side of the board to make sure i get my tenant on bribery i'm gonna throw a two-man drone squad into the center of the board my opponent has to go and deal with that now yeah you know that's a 20-man drone unit so which has to be dealt with so does that mean a charging unit has to go in and sweep them off or do my opponent has, does my opponent have to bring out guns out of hiding, out of high line of sight to then shoot them off, which then allows me to then hit them back with my guns? I think you can force some there, you can force some issues there, um, which your opponent doesn't want to, want to have to deal. They want to come out of hiding to kill your battle suits, not to kill drone squads. Yeah. And if there's that term where you really need to take it, it only takes you to put, you know, three different units of two out in the center there. And you're going to make your opponent have to commit more than one squad because otherwise if they split fire and they and they bounce off one unit, then ultimately they're not going to achieve their objective. So they're going to have to put more units into the center, which gives you that a chance to, you know, make full use of carry on or whatever it is that you want to do, make the most of how your buffing um, stratagems work, auras this is the turn in which I'm going to bait my opponent out. You're thinking ahead for next turn. You want them in the open. You want them in range. And you know what? I'm just going to put three units of drones on there to get them into position and bring that army forward to exactly where I want it. And I think that's a really good strategy. You're, you know, you're thinking those turns ahead to really make sure that you've, you're playing the game that how you want it to go. You're again, we talk about this all the time on the Academy you are dictating the tempo of the game. You are saying, right, next turn, stuff's going to die and it's going to be yours and not mine. Um, and I'm going to break the back, you know, of your list and then I can, you know, start to then push out onto those objectives. So yeah, really, really good. Nice. Like that a lot. And I think even just furthermore to that, even charging, a, you know, four drones into a psyched to stop it falling back in casting doom or doom or jinx or something, a warlock or whatever it might be from Eldar or something that's quite, you know, like we said, is not going to kill those drones, but certainly wants to be making use of psychic powers. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really good strategy. Yeah, really good. Okay, cool. So going beyond that, then 
how does it all balance out? So um, it's always a tricky balance, I find, with Tau, with trying to get the right amount of defence, ball control, guns, and marker lights on the table and finding a balance that works for your list um, as well. And yeah, as I say, an amount of command points. To, there is some awesome stratagems in the Tau Codex and in Psychic Awakening, which really underpin my list working. Um, so there's plenty of good stratagems which keep pace with the current codexes, I believe. Yep. But yeah, the overall balance and your play style and set choices, it all comes together. So when you're kind of developing your own list, think about, is that the right set choice or am I, am I not leveraging that enough? Do I need to f- look at a different unit? Do I have enough defense from drones, for example? Can I get out and control the board? Can I kill certain units with have i got enough guns to deal with 20 necron warriors or five plasma inceptors or 10 vanguard vets or whatever it might be and just really critically analyze that every unit in your list has a a function and a role and and they they must be offering something for uh, the greater good you know see what you've done there (laughs) for the greater good (laughs) um mate i think this has been an absolute masterclass in changing a mindset of a slightly underperforming faction to something that you're clearly enjoying right as playing that yeah, yeah as a kind of a you know a closing statement on on, on the on the towel on the towel for me i've personally never had as much fun playing towel than i have at the moment uh, i really like the list it's, it's got lots of different units in it it's mobile, it's quick, it's not a static gun line. It's um, it's really exciting uh, to play. And it works well with 9th edition, which is all, you know, again, is a great addition, I'm finding. No, I, I would completely agree. And also, Tau's really nice to paint. I'm recently, or I have been recently painting our Tau army for the channel. Um, and I'm, you know, really enjoying painting it. So I've got some finishing questions for you, Jack. Okay. Let's say I wanted to start to play Tau. I've got zero army, uh, you know, zero models. Obviously, like, you know, I need the Tau Codex. I need the Psychic Awakening for Tau to play. What would be your go-to purchases? Give me the top five purchases that you're looking to get into an army. Okay, so I, any recommendation to a Tau player getting started, you buy at least two, possibly three get started boxes because you it's such great value in, in comparison to buying those units separately. And you get, you know, you get 10 troop choices. So if you buy two boxes, let's talk about two boxes. You get 20 troops, which gives you enough to fill out your battalion. You get an ethereal, which is one of your HQs, which is vital, um, a very good HQ option. You then get six crisis suits, um, which thanks to points reductions recently and certain stratagems, I think are very, very good. Um, and you get loads of drones, more importantly, which is great because they can be quite pricey trying to buy them independently. Um, but if you get two get started boxes, you know, you, you, you've got your battalion almost there. So let's complete that, that, that battalion with buying a commander. And with that, just quickly on the crisis there, by having two get started boxes, I'm assuming now you've probably got enough guns to put all of the same gun onto yeah. one model, right? I think so. You may need that third box, but but yes, yeah, is there a good point? You get all the guns. I can't quite remember off the top of my beat. Um, you get loads, um, and and that's why it's so good getting the multiple boxes. Is that you generate a good bits bits box? Yeah, 
Yeah. And um, I definitely recommend, you know, magnetizing or just going, right, this is my burst cannon team. This is yep. my melter team or whatever weapon you like. This is the team of three that all have this option on it and a support system. Um, and we've done another podcast um, on Tau, so people can obviously go back and listen to that if you search through the archives of Vanguard Tactics. You know, obviously the Academy has got a great resource of information. Obviously they get access to you as well if they want to find out more about how to play Tau competitively. Um, so you've got those two. What else? You said a commander. Yep. I think a commander. Um Again, lovely model. Um, just on the magnetizer, towels suits really well for mag- magnetizers. The models sit perfectly for it. And um, so, it's, yeah, they're, they're a good recommendation there, Steve. Um, yeah, I've got my two get started boxes. I'll have a commander. And then I think the rest is 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 more about... Does a devil, sh- a devil fish make it? Yeah, I'd certainly have devil fish. Um, two, two of those. And I think the rest of it is then, yeah, let's go with two get started boxes, two devil fish and the commander. Uh, that'd be my essential purchases. Okay. And then you're looking at the combination of ghost kills, crisis suits, broadsides and riptides for the remainder of the points, really. So let's say you've got three blocks. You could either go a block of um, broadsides or you could go for a riptide or a couple of ghost kills, couldn't you? Or some sort of combination of those things. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. And uh, mate, I I think that's some awesome advice. And then you can worry about warlord traits and relics. That's what I'm certainly doing is worrying about all the tinkering once I've got some repetitions with it. Once I'm starting to, you know, I haven't haven't done my SWOT analysis yet of my tower. I've just sort of, I'm at the bare bones stage, like, you know, you've just outlined. So um, I'm interested to get the tower a little bit of a go um, to see what I can do with them on the table. And Jack, you happy to share your list? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. These show notes and list will be up on the blog page and that will be www.vangotactics.com forward slash blog forward slash S3 EP1. So uh, yeah, that's where you can find it. The uh, and, and I think when you look at the list, you're like, oh, what is it? You know, it doesn't pack. It doesn't scream firepower, does it? But your efficiencies are in there. This is a very, very well-rounded list. And as we say, we're making the most of points rules in the mission um, to really make sure that this list is balanced, does well on the table and uh, scores well. And that's what it's about. You don't have to table your opponent. You just have to score well. Um, Anyway, Jack, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome. I was glad to to, to, uh, have a depth discussion about Tau and and how I think they are... uh, they're, they're on the rise. No, and this has definitely been a journey that I've been, um, you know, obviously part of with you. Um, and I love your enthusiasm for the game and absolutely everything that you bring into the Academy. So I can't thank you enough, mate. Um, and I know all the, you know, guys on the Academy do really appreciate your support um, and your guidance that you give them on a regular basis. So anyway, um, that's us. If you like the podcast, remember, you know, please, you know, consider subscribing. Um do leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Let us know something that you want to cover in the future. Um, the more five-star reviews we get, the more it helps us, you know, reach other people that haven't found out about the podcast. And um, again, consider the Academy if you really want to, you know, do well with your faction. We're not going to tell you to take the most broken stuff. We're going to help you like Jack's gone over today in a perfect example of putting the work in and getting that value out of your army um, and really enjoy the hobby for exactly what it is. So until next week, I will see you next time. Take care.